Coming to you live from the inside of a sea turtle, I'm Johanna Stauffer, and with me as always is the hand of Gary Smoolahan. And this is the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Episode 88, A Terrapin Melange. Welcome back, alarmists, to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. I'm Tom, and it's so good to be here this evening. And I'm Johannes. And, and it's I, so it's, good to be here this evening. It's fine. For you too. It's no, okay. No, it's great. I like it well enough. We're here. We're in your home. We're making a podcast. Things are good. Things are good. You just gotta embrace that positivity. Just wrap your arms around it and nuzzle your face into its soft fur and just really kind of, just kind of shimmy a little bit. Are you done? I, I, I could go on. I wish you wouldn't. Oh, well, fair enough. So what are we talking about? On our board game podcast tonight? Yeah. Well, uh, I thought we were going to talk about um, positivity and nuzzling, no, but no. if you don't want to do that, we can go to our backup topic. No one wants that. Which was this week's board game hour topic, uh, which was the role of luck in board games. How you mitigate it, how you use it as a designer to make your games work, when it's effective, when it's ineffective. And um, I thought we also might, you know, discuss hair a little bit, too, while we were at it. Okay. So that's, that's, that was the topic my, I thought. Like head hair or just hair in general? Just like you the know. platonic idea of hair. Okay, okay. You know. Hair. So, so <laughs> hair. So, yes, we are, in fact, flagrantly stealing another podcast's topic this week. Um, because uh, I was part of the discussion on Twitter, the Board Game Hour discussion on Twitter this week about luck and luck mitigation and i felt like there was just a whole lot to say uh more than could fit on twitter so we're going to try to not make a habit out of this because i know those guys put a lot of work into the board game hour and they now have their own podcast each week uh, about the topic we don't want to step on any toes but uh this week seems seemed like a good seemed like a good topic seemed like an okay topic this is a pretty good topic i liked it I'm trying to find their website on the internet. It's boardgamehour.co.uk at www.boardgamehour.co.uk. Boardgamehour.co.uk. No, you ever listen to AM no, radio? It's not, though. Yeah, it is. But you have to put www on the front of it because oh. they've messed up their... Uh, oh, their redirects or whatever you're something, calling Something, something, yeah. something. Oh, okay. Some sort of record. Uh, whenever I see anything.co.uk, I read it as .co.uk. Oh, Okay. I do that in cool. my head. So, board, uh, so luck, what do you think about luck? How do you feel about it? Like, just in general? Or, well, in, I mean, it's going to take forever to actually get to the topic, isn't it? <laughs> for, for both morons. Uh, <laughs> and the yeah, real it, question all of our listeners are, are just wondering is, when are we going to get to hair? Uh, eventually. Just be patient, folks. We will get yeah, to hair. We'll get there. We will talk about We're it. We're going to completely forget. <laughs> Um, so part of the reason I wanted to talk about this on the show today is because, um, I feel like the, uh, the people in the board game community who are against luck in, in game mechanics were vastly overrepresented, mm -hmm. uh, at board game hour this week on Monday. Um, it could be that they were accurately represented and that there are just a lot more of them. That's entirely possible. Mm -hmm. But, um, but for a few people, there were... Uh, not many out there saying about things about luck-based mechanics that they liked in games. And so there's obviously, there has to be a balance, right? If you're going to have uh, a, a, a luck-based game, like a game that the main mechanic is about luck, probably not going to be all that much fun. Mm -hmm. You might as well sit there and flip a coin, try to guess which way it's going to land. Um, so there, it's obviously got to be balanced with, you know, skill challenges to some degree, mm -hmm. but... Um, I, I honestly really like it when 
sometimes a game just throws a wrench in the works and there's nothing you could have done about it. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that I feel like Arkham Horror does really well. You might have your whole turn planned out really well, but, you know, you, you draw the wrong card or you whatever, you know, a monster moves away. Mm-hmm. You didn't expect it to. And now everything is everything Ar- is ruined forever. Arkham Arkham is more a case of you throwing your works into a pool of wrenches and hoping for the best. It's true. It's true. But like, so depending on the theme of the game, I, I, I often like it when... You, you can be skillful and you, you can go about your turn in a very uh, a deliberate way and, and plan everything out and strategize. And sometimes the game's just like, nope, that's not how life works. Mm-hmm. You just you just have to, this is broken now. Right. Figure it out. And I, I think the important part there is that you should, as a player, feel as though you can, there are not too many factors to take into account. Like, you can think, I if I do this, I will have covered these scenarios, and if I'm not these ones, and that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just a matter of pure pure randomness. It's a matter of taking that randomness into account, figuring out how many different options you're likely to face in the upcoming turns, and accounting for as many of them as you can. On your mm-hmm. It's like in a... Uh, what's that game where you are the... Uh, like, the stocks... Or a pill? No, we used it's that a joke. Frigging card. hammer! Yeah, we did use that joke. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, put another one in the reused joke jar. <laughs> yeah. One, one, what? Re- reused, stolen joke jar. Yeah, it's a, it's the jar is overflowing. It mm-hmm. spilleth out. But uh, in uh, Samurai Spirit, that's what I was thinking of. So you're playing basically blackjack. Where you're trying to build up on your row of uh, dudes you're fighting values equal to your number. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You're right. trying to build up to eight or twelve or whatever it happens to be. And you can, you know, before you draw, what numbers are in the deck. It's one to four on the first round, one to five on the second, one to six on the third round. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, if I go, say your, your total number is eight and you're still on the first round, you know, as long as you're under four, that no matter what you draw, it's fine. You can put it there. Right. And you know, once you go, once you get to four, or I'm sorry, once you get to five, then as long as you draw a three, one, two, or three, you're fine. But a four would, would put you over. Right. So you can and so you can then make an intelligent guess. How likely is it that I'll pull a four? Well, probably not that likely. There's fewer of them than the other ones. So I can. it's a, a, a risk worth taking here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can kind of make that, make that estimation. And I think that's like one of the questions they ask is how would you define luck mitigation? I think that's what, what it really is. It's does the game allow for you to look at the, the luck element, the die roll or the deck or whatnot, and make an intelligent decision, or is it purely random? Well, I think beyond just being able to make an intelligent decision, I think the, the luck mitigation in this, in the in the context of, of Samurai Spirit, would be um, one of the one of the special powers that the various samurai have that would let you pass off a card that you were unlucky enough to draw that would have put mm-hmm. you over, but you say, well, I, I can I can pass even-numbered cards sure. to the left or, or, or to another player or whatever it is. I think that's more what it is, because uh, at least in terms of luck mitigation mechanics rather than just... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was funny. I came in a little late. I think I came in on question four. Um, so I missed kind of the beginning of the discussion on Monday, but um, so I, I actually didn't see how people defined luck mitigation. But the the feeling I got, at least from the people mm-hmm. collected there, was that um, they were sort of approaching game design from this position of um, you have to have some amount of luck so that you're not just making a solvable game. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to include dice rolling or you have to include shuffled decks, but you now now that you have that um we need to make sure that there are things in place so that they're not too random mm-hmm. because random and luck-based gameplay is bad and it must be mitigated uh-huh. and so i think there was partially a connotation just because of the word mitigation but i think there was also sort of an attitude of like we don't want we don't want that randomness mucking mm-hmm. up our well-engineered games see i would i would debate that on a couple different points um even if you let's take chess. Chess is the classic "quote unquote" solved game, even though it's not. There's it hasn't been mathematically solved right. because that's several. There, I think there's more possible chess games if you run the numbers than there are atoms in the universe. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It, it's some unbelievable number. Sure. And and that's the point with a lot of um, so-called solvable games. Sure, if they don't have luck, they're technically solvable. Like you could do the math, but mm-hmm. you actually can't because the numbers involved are so enormous that. 
they don't make computers that can do them. They certainly don't make the human mind that can do it. Mm-hmm. It's like chess, you know, people people complain that chess is, and I, I think you and I have had this conversation, that it's about memorizing those first couple of openings mm-hmm. and, and knowing how those go. But that middle game and the end game require others other skills, and they, they can't be mapped out so precisely. Sure. So you still wind up playing a game. It's just that it takes those first couple of turns to get to it where you're not following the relatively rote openings. And even those rote memorized openings don't guarantee much other than by the time you get to that middle game, you'll be in a reasonably good position to keep playing as right. opposed to getting steamrolled. So I think... Even if you don't have any luck, you can still make an interesting game just as long as you make sure that the number of possible combinations is non-trivial. Right, but now, so we're, we're kind of going down a rabbit trail because I, I used the, the turn, you know, solved games and I may have referenced chess. I don't think anyone else actually did. Sure, I was just sure. saying th- these were people who seemed to sort of admit, okay, you probably need a randomization mechanic in your game, but we really don't want it there. And we're so we're trying to avoid it by mitigating it somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're going to go down down the chess road how many games do you see out there that function like chess does like chess is a fairly old and fairly complex game mm-hmm. and i mean other than changing the way the pieces move or the size and shape of the board how do you make how do you make multiple different interesting games out of that i mean at the end of the day you're just making a lot of different forms of chess with different kinds of armies or different playing yeah i mean that's to some degree true there's only so much you can do with that chess checkers yeah with that with that kind of structure structure sure but at the same time i mean there's only so many ways you can roll a dice there's only so many ways you can shuffle a deck of cards and draw from it i'm not sure where we're going with this yeah i, I don't i don't i don't think we need to go anywhere with it i don't i don't think your point is good i, I think you, you your point is made about mm-hmm. chess not being solved or arguing against no one who actually said that other than Okay, me yeah. and you. <laughs> well, I won that. Yep, I won that one. Yeah. No, I, I guess. I guess my point is that even without randomness, you can have interesting interactions. Um, because you you can have a a game that doesn't boil down to just memorizing a list of moves, because you can make the list of moves so large it can't be memorized. Well, well let's 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 run with that then. How? Um. Well, I mean, I mean, chess does it with sixteen pieces. You have enough moves. Okay. Without making chess as game designers, mm-hmm. how do you make a game? that is interesting in 2015 that hasn't already been created without randomness. Interesting challenge. I'm going to have to work at that. I'm not sure. Yeah. And if Um, we can do it, let's go become fabulously wealthy with that. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of what, what kind of parameters you can adjust on that. Now, I I guess another question worth, worth asking is does, does hidden information, does information that I don't have count as randomness? Like, uh, let's look to Skull, that game we played the other week. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for those not in the know, Skull is a game where each player is going to lay down one or more of their cards. It's either going to be a skull or a rose that they lay down. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to keep going around until somebody finally calls it and says, I think that I can draw from among all of us a total of X cards without drawing a skull. So, like, if we've got four players playing and they say, I can draw four of these cards without drawing a skull, they're assuming that everybody put down roses. Nobody put down a skull. Um, and you can you keep going around playing more and more until eventually somebody calls or everybody runs out of cards and I guess somebody's forced to at that point. I don't know. I we never we got, never that, got far. that far. Yeah. Um, it's really a game about bluffing. It's a game about bluffing, lying, that kind of It's excellent. Yeah. Highly recommend. But when I when I make my decision to call or not, the only the information I have is incomplete. I only know what I put down and maybe what cards you've lost over previous turns, so I can make some intelligent decisions. But there's information I doesn't I don't have. Do we distinguish that from randomness? I, f- I feel like whether or not mathematically it is the case, there is a distinction to be made between luck and randomness. If that makes sense, I uh, elaborate if you could. So hidden information definitely adds a degree of luck Mm -hmm. because you don't know what the other players have but and i'm not a mathematician but statistically it is it can be known i guess Mm -hmm. given the cards available so it's not necessarily random other than the randomness that having a player in the game adds just like chess you know what those pieces can do but you don't know what they're going to do but you don't know what they're going to do with them so 
the distinction between truly random and uh, a luck based mechanic, I think, is there anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how to put it into better words than that. Sure. Um, but the, I mean, we, do we want to keep exploring this, or do we want to go back to luck and luck mitigation? Well, let's, well, let's let's kind of. It feels like looking through this list of questions Board Game Hour asked, and and I skimmed through some of the tweets earlier too. It looked like they were mainly focusing on things that were completely out of any player's control, like dice, right? Yeah, or, or card decks. So let's focus in on those things rather than looking at bluffing or hidden yeah. information mm-hmm. that kind of. So that stuff's interesting, and I think worth talking about maybe in a future episode. But mm-hmm. um, just for the sake of keeping some semblance of order to this <laughs> chaotic nightmare that is the mildly alarming podcast. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. It's not really a chaotic nightmare. It's more of a sort of like messy kind of bad dream. It's you know, one it's of only the, mildly alarming. It's kind of one of those dreams where like you, you are fleeing from something and like, you can't really run very fast, but you're running like full out, but you're uh-huh. just not moving very fast, but you're also not really worried about it. You're just kind of frustrated. You're like, yeah, I should probably get away from this guy, but... Uh... Sure, yeah. I think that sums it up. Roughly. So anyway, what were we talking about? Uh, bull semen again, probably. Probably. Um, One of the questions I asked is, is mitigation a nice way of saying reduced to the point where it is not important? Um, No, I don't think so. One of the things I always think about when I'm thinking about luck in games, or luck in general, or numbers in general, is that... Oftentimes, any given person's sample that they're looking at is completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Like, let's take, um, oh, what's a game with some good randomness to it? Uh, well, here, let's let's even take Arkham as an example. Okay. Given the amount of randomness in that game, and given the number of games we've played, our experience of Arkham means virtually nothing in terms of what you can expect from Arkham over many, many games. Right. Because I mean, there's so many possibilities, given the number of characters and cards and events and interactions and whatnot, yeah. compared to the number of games you play. And we've played a lot of Arkham, mm-hmm. um, that it's just statistically meaningless. So we can't even really say that we have an idea of how random Arkham is or how likely the players are to win it. Mm-hmm. So my, my thought on, on mitigation would be that if you took the full set of possible games, right? Mm-hmm. And you took all of the players' options, and you, you you laid out all of the luck-based options on a line, right? From situations where the player is going to lose to situations where the player is going to win, based purely on how they roll. Uh-huh. I think that the player, if you're going to mitigate luck, an average player should hit somewhere in the middle of that line. A player who's doing okay at the game, mm-hmm. and the better you get at it, the more you understand the systems, and the better choices you can make when presented with a given luck, it should move you move you down the line so that more and more of those total overall games are wins for you. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have luck in the game, if you're going to have an element of randomness, you'll never get to zero because there's always that one situation where you roll nothing but ones, literally every roll, mm-hmm. and just fail mm-hmm. because you rolled too low and you just never succeeded. Um. To me, if, if you can get to zero, if you can get to the point where it's perfect and you can win every game, that's not a luck-based game anymore. If it's lu- a luck-based game, if it's got that element, it's got to have that element of you, you're you just screwed. It's just over for you. Otherwise, it's solvable, I guess. is it. Right, and I think, yeah. I think, again, you're blurring the distinction between randomness and luck, which, again, mathematically may not exist, but math mm. isn't interesting, and people who like it are lame. Um. I have like five spreadsheets open. Yeah, right now. yeah, yeah. I mostly just said that because I wanted to hurt you. You did. Good. You did. You hurt me <laughs> so deep inside. So, the, a lot of the discussion that I found interesting was more about like, is is luck and and is a is a mechanic that allows um, the luck of the draw to totally throw the game or at least your turn for you a bad thing? And mm-hmm. I, there was a lot of. Uh, there were a lot of people who said that yes, that that that's bad. You you want to avoid that, and that's why again they they were talking about luck. Like the the topic was not luck. The topic was luck mitigation mm-hmm. um, mechanics designed to take the luck inherent in uh, dice based and and deck based mechanics mm-hmm. and make it less random, make it less luck based. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I saw, I see point, I see, I see used to it. You know, I, I see, you, you don't want a game where, um, it's like, like how I feel about the blue shell, the leader shell mm-hmm. in, in Mario Kart. Uh, 
I think it evens as someone who's pretty good at Mario Kart. Otherwise, I I feel that it evens the playing field too much, mm-hmm. like to a point that you know it doesn't matter if you get good at the game because someone could nail you with a leader shell sure, on the last sure. lap and you could get passed by everyone. And that's just so random and it sucks and I hate it. Um, someone made a, a really good point though. Uh, I thought I wrote it down here, but I didn't. Um, but, but someone, uh, someone said basically, um, the, the people who are the most vocal about luck are the people who think they're the most skilled and get the most screwed out of it by luck-based mechanics. I think that describes me perfectly in that, in that Mario Kart situation. Um, Now, as a person who has also played, played that game against people who are better than me or, you know, gotten a new Mario Kart game and had to get good enough to try to overcome the computers or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I've also been sitting there going, come on, come on, come on. I need that blue shell. If I'm going to get the, you know, the three stars or whatever it is on this, on this cup and advance in the race. And so I think it's necessary. Um, And it's actually almost like the flip side of luck mitigation, right? That I need that luck based mechanic. I need the, somewhat random computer coded Mario Kart to give me that chance at a blue shell mm. to give me that chance sure. of knocking that guy out of first. Um and so you know, I can see I can see how frustrating it can be if a bad dice roll or a bad draw um wrecks your winning streak. But at the same time, there's the person who's been playing poorly for the entire game who may benefit from that same mm-hmm. randomness mechanic. And I think there's a lot more value in it than people give it credit for. Sure. But isn't there a lot, isn't it less satisfying to win on a random blue shell, for example, than it is to win because you played your cards right the whole time and executed your strategy the way you wanted to. No, it depends on how good you are at the game at the time and how much you care about the game too. Yeah. I well, think, like, it's, I think it, 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 like I said, I think it does a very good job of, of evening the playing. Field. And, and I guess too, it depends a little bit on, on the game as well. Like as, as you're saying, Mario Kart is a pretty good example of this because I think a win in Mario Kart, like that's fun. Like it's fun to win at Mario Kart, mm-hmm. but it's been a long time since I played Mario Kart. So this might not, I might just be looking at it through rose colored glasses a little bit, but as I recall, like you went at Mario, you're like okay, I won at Mario Kart. This is pretty laid back. This isn't a big deal, because in part because of that randomness, you're, you uh-huh. it's you get less excited by the win or the success because you know it was a little bit because you you were lucky that nobody pulled the blue shell when they needed it. Right. Similarly, if Mario Kart were just a pure racer and you got rid of some of that and you, you narrow the randomness a little bit on it, mm-hmm. suddenly the win becomes more satisfying in that way in the I did the right thing sort of way depends how you want the game to play out you know if it's if it's super luck based super swingy like that where where I, I think that makes it a lighter game almost yeah, a, okay, a yeah game, I think so a game that's hard, a game that you're not going to take a serious and not going to invest as much time thinking about and pondering over and trying to figure out how you want to do it I, I think that might be what we're kind of coming up against here is that I don't I don't think that a lighter game is necessarily a worse game uh, in in terms of oh, design. Oh yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't. No, mean and I'm not saying you yeah. are saying that. I think a lot of people do feel that way, though. There's the, it's the same sort of people who are like, oh, you, well, you're not a real gamer because you just play, you know, flash games or I mobile think, games. I think in a way, it's harder to design a light game that's also a good game and that's going to keep people interested in it than it is to design a really. You know, a, a, a lot of uh, big, hefty, moving, a lot of moving parts game that'll drag people in. Or, can... or even, it doesn't have to be hefty and a lot of moving parts, it, it, but a very analytical, sure, uh, strategic game that, that will... Like, uh, what's that game? King of Tokyo and, or, and King of Tokyo. They're pretty swingy, I think, yeah. with the dice yep. and the way they work out. But there's enough going on there that it'll keep you coming back to it. Right. And it, it's light enough and it fits a good niche in your board gaming collection. And I think that's... So I, I was hesitant to call this luck mitigation because this honestly... I'll come right out and say it. This, this uh, board game hour is the first time I've, I had ever heard that as, uh-huh. a, as a design term. Sure. Um, and a few people gave King of Tokyo and King of New York uh, as examples of games with good luck mitigation. And so I guess they're considering the cards that you can purchase... To be luck mitigation, 
I would call the, um, if I'm understanding the term correctly, the ability to re-roll luck mitigation, too. Yeah, it is. Yes, that definitely is. And that's that's where it comes in. You need the right amount of, of randomness to generate enough you know, results that you've got enough things to happen to be interesting, but also the right amount of input into that randomness where you can feel like if you couldn't sway it, you could at least set your shoulder to it and give it a hearty shove. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just rolled once and took what you got, that would be really boring. But since you get those couple of re-rolls, that's fun? Yeah, I guess. It wouldn't be nearly as engaging a game if it was just roll the six dice and you get what you got. Right, right. Or even if even if roll the six dice, get what you got, and then certain upgrades or power-ups or whatever could grant you re-rolls. Right. If you didn't have them right off the bat. Right. You need to have enough stuff to do on your turn. We like board games. Board games. Board games. You can cut that out. I certainly will. <laughs> so a few people had uh, good things to say. Um, Iron Mark Games on Twitter. That's Iron Mark Games. Uh, said mitigating luck to the point where actions become predictable makes a game incredibly boring. Um, even weirder movie said luck mitigation is about isn't about reducing random elements as much as improving choice. Games are fun when we're not sure we'll win. The trick is adding enough luck to get that, but not to lose choice and agency. And so it was, I think, a much better juxtaposition of luck versus choice mm-hmm. than luck versus like rules and strategy. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like the reason a game is fun is because you can choose. Um, you're, you're making choices, even in the midst of randomness, that allow you to do things that are or aren't um, helpful for you or for teammates or opponents. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, that re-roll uh, mechanic in, in King of Tokyo and many other games is, is a way that you can take random input from the game, from the dice that you rolled, but still make a choice and do something mm-hmm. with it. But it's still a pretty luck-based game at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Um and so I, I, uh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I agree. You, you, you always want to be presenting the player with interesting choices. So, if if you're gonna a luck element should still be be giving them those options and making them analyze their resources and pick where they want to invest them, even given the the random hand that fate dealt them. Um, I think it dovetails nicely into another point, though. If you're um, if you're gonna have you know a very very swingy game like that, um. It, it's important to make sure that you, if you're going to get screwed over by the luck of the draw, you shouldn't be screwed over for like an hour. It should, it, it should taper off pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things you can, you can run into in Arkham in some cases where you're like, we, we lost this now and it's going to take us 45 minutes to figure that out. Yeah. To, to play it out to the point where we've actually hit the lose condition. Yeah. Uh, King of Tokyo. I've been in situations where it was clear that somebody was going to win, but they never felt like they dragged too much. Well, King of Tokyo is always pretty quick. King of Tokyo does something odd in that players can get knocked out. That's one of those rare games you see where players mm-hmm. can be out long before. I mean, long in the context of the the time it takes to play through the game. Which I think it never really goes much over a half hour. Yeah, I've never it? seen it go more than half an hour. Yeah, yeah. but you so, can you can get knocked out, and then there's still you know 15 minutes of play left right. for the other three players. So, but you you really want to avoid the situation where luck has has effectively removed you from the game, but not really, and you just sort of have to mime it mm-hmm. for a long time that's one of the things i think you really don't like in eclipse yeah is when you get a bad pull on the initial exploration and so you don't have much to build your empire on yeah and then you but you still have you're still stuck you haven't actually been eliminated yet and probably nobody's going to bother to come and eliminate you because you're not really they? a threat why yeah. waste the time i made tom really mad the first or second uh, time you, we played. no no you already told the story once did i you did you did on an earlier podcast about the thing where you then decided to figure out the mechanics of it and you collapsed your empire. And yeah, we already heard about how I'm a huge apple. Let's move on. Well, that happened. And Tom's a huge apple. I'm a big, enormous, mendacious, disembodied anus. (laughs) That's, I wish I hadn't spoken over top of that. I would have put that right at the beginning. You want to try it again? (laughs) No, no, it's fine. I like luck in games. I think dice are fun to roll. Cards are like the, the you know kind of we, we've been talking kind of highbrow here or as high as your brows can get when talking about toys, uh, but really I think the reason you include luck in the game is because it's fun to roll a fistful of dice yeah. and it's fun to draw the top card off a deck and find out what it is. That's just enjoyable in and of itself. And like 
it's fun to draw four cards. It's fun to roll a bunch of dice. It's kind of boring to roll one mm-hmm. or to just pull one card, but let your players draw a bunch of stuff and then go from there. Let them roll a whole pile of dice. Mathematically, it might come out identical, but they don't know that. So it's it's fun. Randomness is fun. It's fun to see what happens. I'm actually like a little disappointed to hear you say that just because I, I feel like I'm often the... Uh the voice for more randomness in our design. And oh, you you're certainly often are. the voice for more spreadsheets in our design. Mm-hmm. You, cer- you certainly are the voice for more randomness. And I certainly get spreadsheet blindness when I'm and working. I, I was kind of hoping we could get shouty at one another over this oh. one, but instead we went highbrow, which was boring. But no. it's okay. Hopefully no. people will enjoy it. No, randomness is fun, but I think it needs to be embedded in a framework where it's not going to veer off into not fun. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. Abounded, abounded randomness, I guess is how I would call it. How would you uh, create that in Microsoft Excel? Uh, I don't I, care. I don't care. I, I would I first care. down the left-hand side, and <laughs> you should just cut this off partway through as I'm talking, and that'll be funny. So if you have uh, anything you would like to add about uh, to our discussion about luck-based mechanics, or if there are games we should check out that use it well... Uh, or if you generally just want to shout things into the void that is the internet uh, and point them vaguely in our direction, you can hit us up on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. You can send us an email at Mildly Alarming. Mildly. Uh, so if you have more you would like to say about randomness and luck and mitigation in games, and if you would like to throw it at us across the endless sands of the internet, Roll 1d6, and on a 4 or higher, you may send it to us on Twitter, at Mildly Alarming. On another different roll, I don't know what we're doing here. You could hit us up at Gmail. What? <laughs> Did you say Twitter? I think I said Twitter. I always start with Twitter. Oh, this is a <laughs> cluster. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> if you have something you want to say to us, you can hit us up on Twitter, at Mildly Alarming. By email at mildly alarming at g- g- <laughs> mildly alarming show, right? I think that's our we email have address. Two or three email addresses. It's hard to keep track. <laughs> Twitter at mildly alarming. Email mildly alarming show at gmail.com. Website www.mildlyalarming.com. The, uh, the email is actually mildly alarming games at gmail.com. No, it is mildly alarming show. We have both. Oh. Do we have to try that again now? We're on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. We're on email at mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. We have a website with a comment section at www.mildlyalarming.com. How hard was that? Now a word from our stupid sponsor. Stay tuned after the Mildly Alarming podcast for Meatball Parade with Gary Smoolahan. This week, Gary presents a lineup of his favorite meatballs from around the world and gets his hand stuck in a sea turtle. Uh Uh-oh, Gary. Looks like this problem has some real meat on it. Catch Meatball Parade with Gary Smoolahan after the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Welcome back, Alarmists, to the Mildly Alarming Podcast. It's time for another installment of everyone's favorite segment, Booze in the News. Tom, what's in the news today? Possibly the greatest headline that has ever been penned, and the source of my newfound respect for the state of Texas. Oh? Uh, Texas's top officer Snoop Dogg, a dope-smoking cop hater. I think you missed some punctuation. Oh. Texas has an officer named Snoop Dogg? No. No, there's a colon there. It's Texas's top officer says, colon... Snoop Dogg, a dope-smoking cop hater. So That is a much less interesting article. Sorry, Texas, you and I still are not friends. Yeah, you know, we've got at least the booze half of booze in the news so far. <laughs> what else have you got? I, I, I think Snoop Dogg would make a great top cop. Sure. Is a top cop like a hot cop? Uh, which is, is that anything like a hot topic? No, I don't think so. Okay, well. I I wouldn't know. Uh, next up on, on the list, we have scientists say smelling farts prevents cancer. Well, I probably will never get cancer. Y- you are sitting in a room with me. Um, 
But uh, although hydrogen sulfide gas produced by bacteria is well known as a pungent following smelling gas in rotten eggs and flatulence, it is naturally produced in the body and could in fact be a healthcare hero with significant implications for future therapies for a variety of diseases, said Dr. Mark Wood in a university release. And this is coming from naturenose.org, which sounds super legit and not at all like some sort of weird hippie homeopathy bullshit website. Is it nature knows like N-O-S-E? Because <laughs> fart smells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah? Yeah. No. That would be a terrible pun. Uh, but apparently researchers are also um, coming up with their own compound to emulate the smell of farts for health benefits. They're, so they're emulating the smell. They're not trying to emulate the, the compounds that create the smell and probably oh, oh produce no. the benefits. Oh, no, they're yeah. just trying to produce the smell of farts. I think these researchers are just trying to get subsidized to go to like chili restaurants all the time. So the, so the question to me is, do you have to be like actively smelling farts all the time like or is it just like you know what you know well it's my like, dad had a lot of beans when i was growing up so my my well, chance of... no it's it's like it's like any other medicine you've got to take enough to get it to keep maintain a certain level in your system so like if you smell farts a certain percentage of the time you're going to be okay so uh-huh. like if you like if you live with somebody who farts a lot um or if you if your cube mate is a farter or you've got somebody who liberally cropped us the aisle at work you know, you'll probably be fine then, but... So you, you have to build up, like, an, an amount, kind of like an antidepressant. They don't really start working until you've built up an amount yeah. in your bloodstream. Yeah, you, you know. got you got to hit that level and maintain it, too. You can't let it let it go down over time. So you can't be like, I'm I'm a, I'm going to go, you know, on that tour of, uh, of Chernobyl that I've always <laughs> wanted to, so I'm just going to huff some farts real quick. <laughs> Where are you going to get the farts to huff? <laughs> Are you going to some black market fart dealer? I, I don't know that it said anything that about them having to be other people's farts. So you're, you, you, you are... You produce that thing on your own. You're gathering your own farts? Yeah. What else are mason jars for? <laughs> I thought those were for storing your own urine. Okay, that's the one other thing. <laughs> oh, this is the classiest uh, bit we've done. Yep. Apparently the source for that was something called SunnySKYZ.com. Which, when I open it up, just has a huge banner that says "Live, Laugh, Love" across the top of it. So oh. that's extremely trustworthy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of news source we look for when we do booze in the news. Well, I've got one here. Ooh. Kentucky company makes KFC double down scented candle. Speaking of farts, <laughs> if you uh, if if you don't remember the the horror of a few years ago when this was released, the KFC double down. Is a bacon and cheese sandwich, except they replace the bread with pieces of fried chicken. It's just it's just bacon and cheese between two pieces of fried chicken. And you're supposed to eat it with your hands. Now, we have a not inconsiderable number of international listeners, which is to say there's a guy in England who listens to us. Yeah. England? Ireland? Well, the UK anyway. The, the, the UK, yeah. as they call it, if you don't know how acronyms work. Um, is that an acronym? Sure. I lost all track of thought. <laughs> but at any rate, did they ever release the Double Down outside of our glorious shores here in the land of the Stars and Stripes? Or I truly don't know. Was that only, was that ours? You I know? think, I mean, I USA. There is KFC in the UK, but mm-hmm. I don't know if they have the same horrifying menu that they have over here. You looking it up? I'm, I'm checking it. Well, let, let me know what you come up with. Uh, but this is just so wonderful. Kentucky for Kentucky is the name of a company. It has revealed its new Sense of the Commonwealth candle line, which includes scents like hot brown. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but it sounds horrible. <laughs> Mint julep and the double down. Uh, here's their product description for the double down. Oh, yeah. Take it Holy away. Holy crap. I, I didn't find if it was released in the UK, but KFC South Africa... Um, South Africa. South Africa. Uh, it released it as, uh, or I'm sorry, released a halal version of the Double Down by replacing the bacon with some processed smoked smoked chicken. Oh, so you know you can. Make... So you can have you can have cheese with chicken and be halal. Apparently, huh? But anyway, I I, I like I I thought that was worth bringing up. I guess yeah. It appeared in New Zealand too, so I'm going to assume the UK got it. Yeah. And anyway, carry on. Sorry. All right. This is the product description. <laughs> 
For the scented candles. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So you want to feel the presence of a double-down sandwich, but it's mysteriously vanished from the KFC menu again? What a dilemma. Well, good news, Kentuckians. We've turned this elusive unicorn into a candle you can cradle (laughs) (laughs) year-round. Layered with pure Kentucky goodness, this double-down candle starts off with a layer of Kathy's Real Fried Chicken Candle mixed with bacon pieces, easing into a bacon-scented... center finishing off with another layer of bona fide fried chicken let's leave a candle in the window to show our friend the way home hashtag never forget hashtag bring it back hashtag who needs bread when you have chicken hashtag never forget yeah really for the double down sandwich wow do you think kentuckians are proud of the fried chicken i guess like, I'm kind of glad Michigan doesn't have anything like that named after us. Yeah, that would be. Like, what would it be? I don't even know. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we didn't suffer that horrid fate. Uh, uh, what are those things that they have up north? Pasties? Yeah, that's the one. Those are good. That's true. You ever had one? Yeah. Yeah, they're good stuff. I like, I, I, I like, I just like them. I still don't think I'd go for a pasty candle, though. Mm, no, they don't really have the scent for it. No. Like, it's it's really more flavor with those guys. You get the burnt on the bottom when they're made right. <laughs> nice char. Uh, you get the potato, and uh, I assume it's some kind of beef in there. I don't really know, but dip them in a little ketchup or whatever you want. It's good stuff. Don't, mm. don't use ketchup. Ketchup is a crime against food. It's not even a little bit true. It's absolutely 100% true. I what, what else do you, you. have? Uh, <laughs> what's that? Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Oh, this one actually occurred not far from where we are sitting just now. Family gets $17,000 internet bill for movie download on a trip to Canada. Yeah. So, uh, apparently a trip across the Ambassador Bridge to Canada turned out to be pretty expensive for one local family. While their son watched videos online, he was unknowingly racking up thousands of dollars of charges as his parents drove to Toronto. It was an innocent trip, said Mike. Whatever you pronounce that last name, I probably shouldn't just reveal his name on the It's already on the internet. You're reading a news article. Domzalski? (laughs) We had never been to Toronto. It was something different. Domzalski's April cell phone bill came with charges of $17,476.99. Good lord. Uh, Apparently, the iPad was hooked up through his work cell phone. Uh His personal phone had internet or international plan, but his work phone did not. Uh, but the best part of this article to me, really, honestly, is is the AT&T spokesperson's response to the newspaper. This is coming from MyFoxTwinCities.com, which is the uh, Fox News affiliate in Minneapolis-St. Paul, apparently. That's where these people were from. So they were driving to Toronto right, right, yeah. via, via the Ambassador Bridge to Michigan. Um, but the AT&T spokesperson's response was, because the data was downloaded outside of the U.S. international rate supply. In this case, it was more than five hours of continuous data usage. We encourage people to enroll in our international plan. What are their international rates that more than five hours? Now, if it were enough more than five hours that it were, say, six hours, I feel like they would have said six. So let's call it five and a half hours (laughs) equals $17,000. That's, yeah. Like, listen, AT&T, I'm going to offer you some free, unsolicited advice from the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Is it, is it $3,000 an hour for international? I'm kind of curious. <laughs> but let, let's, let us just be frank. Uh, there is no amount of internet that is worth more than a car. Like... <laughs> But it's wireless, and it's in another country. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no combination of words you can use, no number of factors you can put together that make it so that you, for that, th- that it should cost that much. Like, that's just completely insane. You are wrong. In every way it is possible for a being to be incorrect, you are. Q-A-T-T. Does it say what happened? Did they just have to pay it? Uh, they have not. As of the time of this article... Um, let's see here. Domzalski had said to make sure you're, this is the guy who now owes, you know, 
17 large to AT&T. Make sure your phones are set up. I guess Junior's not going to college. (laughs) I guess Junior's getting himself a damn job to help pay this off because it was the kid who was watching YouTube videos. Uh, Anyway, the guy said, make sure your phones are set up properly and your iPad, he said, because AT&T will get you if you don't do your homework and you will end up with a bill like I got. That is terrifying. That is terrifying. Uh, AT&T says once a customer crosses into Canada, a third-party carrier takes over and it's out of their hands. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Fox 2 is told that an executive from AT&T has reached out to Mike's boss, that's the guy, for more information. Mm Mm-hmm. And Fox 2 plans to stay with the story and update it when new information becomes available. Hashtag never forget. Yep. Uh, and this was posted May 5th of 2015, so just a couple of days ago. So hopefully Mike isn't going to wind up spending $17,000 for that trip to Canada. Because the drive from the Twin Cities to Toronto, that's a long drive. And then you got hotels. You know, he's brought his wife and kids with him, it sounds like. So you've got entertainment for them on the trip and food. Yeah, and if they were streaming their entertainment through his cell phone, too, that's just bad news. Yeah, so it sounds like old Mike's in for $17,000 just getting from Minneapolis to Toronto and back before you factor in the data usage. Yep. Poor Mike. Yeah. See, when you said there was a uh, a story near to us, I was a little excited because I thought you were going to talk about Giggles the Pig, who is running for mayor in Flint. Look it up. It's a real thing. Yeah. I'd but vote that for was him. good, too. I will vote for him. I am going to move temporarily to Flint just to vote for Giggles the Pig. A noble goal. If his so, name were anything else, I, I don't know that I'd be interested. What if he was a person who changed his name to Giggles the Pig just to run as Giggles the Pig? I'd consider it. But there were there were pictures of a pig. And it was on the internet, so it must be true. That's very true. So what else have you got? Well, let me tell you, uh, from the Jacksonville uh, Sun-Times... Oh, boy. Florida man tries to cash a check for $368 billion. I don't see what's funny about that. That's totally legit. Let let me tell you. I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's pretty short. A Florida man walked into a Jacksonville Bank of America and tried to cash a $368 billion check. Jeff Waters explained to the bank a homeless man named Tito Watts sold him the blank check from the U.S. Bank of Idaho that was reportedly issued in the 90s. Waters made the check out to cash and was told by Watts that the check would clear for any amount he wrote it out for if he gave him $100. Waters said he wanted $368 billion to open up an Italian restaurant. I'm sorry, a Italian restaurant? Just one. That, that restaurant should probably be Italy, just oh, no, look, the country he, of. He goes, he, he goes into detail. Ooh. Here we go. Here's a quote. Water said, it's always been my dream to own the best Italian restaurant in the earth. I'm 10% Italian. <laughs> Cooking authentic Italian food is in my blood. I had planned to make the restaurant 80 million square feet and able to accommodate 30 million eaters at once. Plus, it was going to be totally underwater so people could look at sharks while they ate. (laughs) But the bank wouldn't give me my money they owed me. Tito said the check was good for any amount I wanted to write it for. So blame Tito, not me. I'm as innocent as a schoolgirl. I have so many questions. First, in the earth... In, well, he, in? he was underwater, you know, it's within the, the I, sort of obloid spheroid that is... Where did this come from again, this story? This uh, is the Jacksonville? The Jacksonville sometime, sometimes. I did look. It does not appear to be a tabloid. Okay, fair enough. I'm just wondering if that's a typo for on the earth. Yeah, oh, no, no. They're not typos. These are, there's a little sick, you know, like... The, oh. The, this, is, this is a direct quote from Mr. Waters. Okay, okay. So he's in the earth. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. How 30 many? million eaters at, 30 at once million. in an That's... 80 million square foot uh, restaurant. You should look it up and see how, how many how many million square feet is Italy. Uh, let's see here. Italy. Italy. Italy is a country in Europe, officially the Republic of. Italy is 30 million, or 116, sorry, million, 116,347 square miles. So how many square feet is that? Come on, do it in your head. W. Oh, it is a lot of square feet. Looks like 32,435,682,000. Nope, I got the I got the decimal point wrong. Uh it's more than that. Okay. So not quite the size of Italy, but certainly bigger than say <laughs> I'm Rome. I'm sorry. It's considered yeah. 
Yeah, it's big. It's yeah. big. He he wanted to build a very large restaurant. Yeah. When police searched Waters, they found both bath salts and Chinese throwing stars on his person. What are bath salts? Like, I don't, I don't the, understand. They're those. like some sort of horrifying drug that makes you eat people's faces in Florida. Do you literally every news story about bath salts seems to come from Florida? So, like, if I if I did some bath salts right now, mm-hmm. like if I just popped them, shot them, I don't know. Okay, uh, would I have to go to Florida before I could start eating face? Yeah, I think they only work in Florida. Okay. That sounds awful. Yep. He was arrested for the bath salts and throwing stars in addition to forgery, but was later later released after posting a $23,000 bail. Did he just like erase the check and write a new number? $23,000 and he handed it to the... And then lucked out after that? They were like, well, yeah, this seems legit. (laughs) I feel bad making fun of the addicted to bath salts (laughs) and the clearly mentally ill, but eh, what are you going to do? He had throwing stars. He did. You know, he was prepared. Maybe he's a time traveling Italian ninja warrior. You know what he should have done? No, do tell. He should have worked up, uh, hooked up with uh, Mike Dumzalski and paid off that seventeen grand with that check. With that check, yeah, yeah. And then they could have, I don't know, teamed up or something. Yeah. Well, I thought it was very big of Tito um, to accept a mere one hundred dollars for, for his his check priceless blank check yeah his check that could literally be any amount of money you wanted it yep. to be yep but he needed cash maybe you know and in a lot of places you need an id like a picture id mm-hmm. to cash a check and maybe he just couldn't he's like i just can't i can't cash it i feel like the name tito is untrustworthy and i'm wondering if that's just because i only see you're it. a racist well no because i only see it on tv i've literally never per- met a person named tito and all the titos on the television are criminals who will kill you uh-huh uh it looks like it's just a given name of some people though so maybe i'm wrong yeah you're racist tv racist but racist nonetheless yeah fair enough well P- titos of the world i apologize for my misconception of you it's big of you well, this has been another booze in the news. If you want to shout at us on the internet about how racist Tom is against people named Tito. That's that's not racism if it's just against people with a given particular name. <laughs> you can hit us up on Twitter at Mildly Alarming. You can send your death threats to mildlyalarmingshow at gmail.com. Where Tom won't see them because I manage the email account. And you could also leave a comment on the website at www.mildlyalarming.com. Or you can, it's the internet, you can probably find your way to my house in the night. And just, like, burn it into my lawn with a gasoline and a match. If you're going to do that, uh, do actually send an email first, because I want to help. <laughs> you can also, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or via RSS at the website. And if you feel it in your uh, your your big, gigantic, enlarged hearts, which you should probably see a doctor about, uh, please leave us uh, a review or at least five or six stars. Um there are only five you can give, but you could create another account and leave another. Wait, no, that would be bad. That wouldn't be five bad. or ten stars. <laughs> Six stars would be bad. <laughs> we don't want any one star reviews. You can keep those to yourself. Yeah. So, yeah, this has been another classy episode of the Mildly Alarming Podcast. Just See you next real, week. Just nothing but quality here. Take it easy. Bye bye. Authorities have closed off public access to Sunset Beach this evening as firefighters work to free local podcast host Gary Smoolahan, who has somehow gotten his hand stuck in a sea turtle. Tune in for more on this and other stories on Mildly Alarming Radio News.